There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we welcome you along to the programme, cold weather that we're experiencing at the moment, it's going to be in place until at least Friday night. That means sharp frost, icy patches, dense fog, and that can and will lead to driving hazardous driving conditions right across this week. Now, there was another status yellow warning that had been in place for low temperatures, but that's gone now since uh, 10 o'clock this morning. And seemingly some parts of the country last night, temperatures went as low as minus minus five uh, degrees and those low temperatures are persisting as we heard today. They'll struggle to get beyond two to four degrees uh, today. Um, and um, and then tonight again it's going to be even colder than it was last night they're saying temperatures tonight could dip minus 7 or minus 8 degrees in some parts of the uh, country but all areas all every, no matter where you are uh, in the country we can expect freezing temperatures overnight for the next uh, two nights and then uh, bitterly cold uh, days and it's high pressure is keeping widespread falls of rain and snow away but Erin is saying it might change next week there's a chance of wintry uh, showers but the moment they're saying is going to be the northern half of the country for next uh, week but yesterday actually when we were coming on air this time yesterday we were getting widespread reports of black ice on roads and uh, pavements particularly in parts of the county even though those parts of the city as well because we had crashes reported in a number of places in both the city and the county yesterday morning not hearing anything so far this morning but that's not to say that there won't be be uh, any crashes this morning so please be extremely uh, careful when you're out and about. Somebody said we had snow in Barclamy. That's come in by a text. Hi Patricia, hope this finds you well and safe. Where I live it's snowing. The roads are extremely dangerous. Why are Cork County Council, why are they not out salting the secondary roads? God knows we pay enough road uh, tax. Also Met Aaron did not forecast because I checked the app last night and this morning there's no mention of snow. Keep up the great work. Thank you. That's from a West Cork listener. So it, it is getting quite, there seems to be a lot more snow in parts of West Cork. Certainly Met Aaron are not forecasting snow. They're saying like a few isolated light showers uh, this morning but they're saying that it should stay mainly dry. So please be careful if you are heading out and you need to make any uh, journey. I, you know, I think always when we get weather like this, give it a few hours for the temperatures to heat up, heat up a little bit and just to get rid of any ice that are now, are now the, the added hazard of uh, snow and maybe make your journey in the afternoon. 0818 103 103 and of course a lot of people would like to have seen snow for Christmas. People dream of having a white Christmas. Don't they even sing about it uh, in songs? Well the latest results are in on how we spent our money in the supermarkets in the run up to Christmas and it's it seems all of the supermarkets in this country had a record-breaking Christmas with bumper 
sales and if you were out in any supermarket in the run up to Christmas you won't be surprised to hear there was bumper sales any time I was in a supermarket in particularly that sort of that week that you know that's kind of five day lead in to Christmas Day they were always jam packed but anyway it's a record breaking 1.4 billion euro was spent in supermarkets in the month of December. These are the figures that have just been released by the retail analysis Kandar and Kandar are the the company that keep a look and keep an eye on what we spend in the supermarket and they're really good because they can track how we're switching from one product to another. I mean for example at the height of the cost of living crisis it was Kandar was telling us they, they could see there was a huge switch from people going with branded goods to own brand uh, goods because they were the uh, cheaper uh, option. So they took a look at what we were doing, what we were spending, what we were not spending on in the run up to Christmas. They tell us that families on average, we spent €776 on groceries in December. That seemingly is an all-time high. And if you compare it to the previous year, Christmas of 2022, it's €42 per household more than what we spent last year. Now, business was so good that on December the 22nd, and the 22nd was the Friday before Christmas, more than one in three people in the country at some stage during the day was in a supermarket. But what, what the, the one surprise one that has come out from it, Brussels sprouts and mince pies were less popular this year than they were on previous years. Sprites were down by 2.4% and mince pies were down by nearly 10%. Never been a fan of the mince pie, I have to say. I'm a huge fan of the sprout, but less and less people bought sprouts, but certainly less and less people bought mince pies this year. Now, what was up? Sales of potatoes were up, carrots were up, broccoli uh, was up and turkey sales went through the roof. There was an increase of almost 20% on the sale of turkey year on year. Now, the Kandar director, Emer Healy, says, as expected, this Christmas was a mammoth month. Friday, the 22nd of December, that was the most busiest. And actually, they had predicted that it would be the busiest because they were basing it on shopping experiences on previous years. So it proved to be the most popular. Uh, On that day, Irish shoppers spent 92 million euro in stores just on that one day, Friday, the 22nd of uh, December, with 36% of all households in a supermarket. the fact that Christmas Day fell on a Monday, that meant shoppers had a full week to prepare and that led to a more staggered shopping trips this year and it also meant that Saturday, December the 23rd was the second busiest trading day of the year. 87 million euro went through tills on that one uh, day. Shoppers made nearly 42 million trips to the shops. That was in the four weeks up to and including Christmas Eve. 3.4 million more than last year and the largest number that has ever been recorded since surveys began over the festive period. However, the record spend was partially caused by high inflation in supermarkets. Although grocery inflation is falling, grocery inflation, you have to call a spade a spade, it's still exceptionally high uh, in this uh, country and you know many consumers are facing serious pressures on their household budgets and while grocery inflation is falling it's still high, it's still at 7.1% and that was for the 12 weeks up to Christmas Eve but we can take comfort from the fact that while grocery inflation was 7.1% when we look back to this time last year, January of 2023 we had grocery inflation running 
at 15.5%. So in that one year last year, grocery inflation has more than halved. So we can take comfort from that. But it does mean we are still paying more for our groceries. Tess, who is listening to us in Jersey, uh, who sent us a lovely snowy scene. She said, lovely snow here in Jersey. We're keeping warm. Good to hear, uh, Tess. And it's a photograph. I I take it out of her window. Their housing estate covered in snow this morning. Margaret and Tala was on to say, Patricia, we rain last night in uh, Tallow. Goodness me. And if it, and and then into freezing conditions to freeze on top of that, that will make driving conditions quite tetra- treacherous. And hi Patricia, will you please, please, please tell people to turn on their lights. So I was driving the kids to school this morning and the number of cars I met with no lights on. Please light up, particularly on these uh, mornings. Uh, make sure you've got your lights on. 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. Text WhatsApp 0818- 862-103-103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. The Education Minister, Norma Foley, has been accused of throwing in the towel on the ongoing teacher recruitment and retention crisis by the Association of Secondary Teachers. Joining me from the ASDI is Dima Tupuer, who is the Deputy General Secretary of the ASDI. Good morning to you, Dermot. Good morning. And you're welcome to the programme. Now, we've discussed this issue of lack of teachers before many times on the programme. So I suppose, start by outlining, I mean, how many unfilled posts are out there and what effect is it having on schools? We wouldn't have an exact number of how many. I know that there are approximately 100 uh, advertised on websites, you know, looking for, for staff at the moment. And that's halfway through a school year at second level. But in fact, it, the, the real number is much more than that because schools have given up or they've put patches in place. Um, but a lot of it is, is giving up because it's very difficult. The effect on schools is, is quite dramatic. It means that in some places they're having huge difficulties finding actually even somebody to put in front of the class. They're certainly having difficulties finding somebody qualified to teach a particular subject. So um, there's a filling in with, with teachers, you know, going into classes that they're not totally, comp- uh, I'm not saying they're, they're incompetent or anything, they're good teachers, but they're not, they're, they're core subjects, they're their main subjects. And we have schools dropping subjects, which is becoming more and more serious. Um, where they're finding, well, we can't get a teacher off for, let's say, for example, home economics, or we can't get modern language teachers, so we just have to drop the subject. And this is uh, this is hugely detrimental, obviously, to the the children, to the students in the schools, because this is their one chance at second level education. And you can't say, oh, well, look, we might this crisis may be fixed in four or five years' time, so kind of come back to us then, because that's not the way it works. So it has to be solved much more urgently than the minister seems to be addressing it. She talks about 30 measures, but we're mm-hmm. not even quite sure what those 30 measures are. Some of them are measures like, for example, the idea that schools would share teachers of particular subjects. They've been in place before. They sometimes work. They sometimes are not very practical for a lot of reasons. Um, but there are other measures. What we find is that any measure that's suggested that costs money uh, is basically not not addressed and not used. There are a couple in particular, like we, we have been plugging away for a long time that uh, they should be the teachers who have who have done time, as it were, who have, have experienced teaching in um, private schools outside the EU, don't get any credit for that on their incremental scale, unlike their primary uh, sisters and brothers who do. Um, but there's an anomaly there where they don't. So, so, that, so that means when they co- decide that they've done their travelling 
and they want to come home to teach. What does that mean for them well, then when they apply if, for a if job? If, for example, they had been teaching in France or the UK for seven or eight years, when they came back here, if they got a job back here, which they would, there's no problem getting the jobs, they would start seven or eight points, whatever the number of years, up on the scale. So in other words, they wouldn't be starting at the very bottom of the salary. So you're talking about people who, who, who are not 23 or 24 and just starting out. These are people who maybe are in the stage where they're, they're, they want to buy a house, if they can do that at all, they'll start a family, or they may have started a family. And their colleagues of a similar age here who were teaching in Ireland all that time would be up equivalent point on the scale. If they've been teaching in the UK or in the EU or in public schools outside the EU, or if they were primary teachers teaching in places like Dubai, Canada, Australia, these are the places that are affected, mainly the Middle East, but also we have, it's now quite attractive for teachers to go to Australia or Canada uh, for a few years. But if they come back, they have to start at the very bottom, whereas they they, they wouldn't, as I say, if they were primary teachers. That seems very unfair. Well, it is. And also the department have told us, oh, yes, we are looking at this and we're examining it. And in fact, the ministers issued a statement in response to our statement yesterday saying, oh, this is being examined. But it doesn't mean anything to say it's being examined because we understood that they were going to request from the Department of Public Expenditure Reform, who are you know, who hold the purse strings, that this would be introduced in the budget. And they, they told us, oh, well, you know, they, it hadn't been, they, the, that they told us that Deeper hadn't looked at it, but in fact it's emerged. The department never asked Deeper to do it. They're, the finance section of the department decided this was not a priority. And we're trying to wonder what the priorities are when you have this massive teaching crisis. And to, to date, they have not asked the Department of Public Expenditure and Reform to, to even look at this question. They say they're examining it, but they're not talking to the people who will actually make the final decision on it, because if, if Deeper said tomorrow, oh, yes, you can do it, they'd do it. They have, but they haven't even asked for it. So I'm not quite sure what, what they're saying when they're saying they're examining the issue. Yeah, and therefore, can you understand why many of those teachers who went overseas, and traditionally that's always happened, people might go away uh, for a few years, can you now understand why a lot of them are deciding not to come back? Absolutely. And even some of them who are coming back are saying, well, I'm not going into teaching uh, because I have a qualification in something else. You know, if, particularly if you're a science teacher or a maths teacher, a home economics teacher, you will get jobs in industry and you may not have to, you know, you will be able to say, well, look, I have this experience and that will be taken into account. And, and it's also true even of people who, who are leaving college and are considering doing teaching and they're looking now, it's another issue. It's a two-year qualification of postgraduate education. It was one year up to a few years ago and we're not quite sure, you know, what massive improvements have happened since it became two-year, except that a lot of people are put off. They're, they're, they've done maybe four years of a degree and now they're saying another two years are very expensive where I'll probably have to live at home and, and whatever and, you know, it's, it's nearly as long as it takes to become a doctor. And so either they should re-examine the two years and say maybe this should be, we should look at moving it back to a year, or at the very minimum, they should at least do what's done in other countries and in other professions, that when they're doing their second year, where a lot of that is teaching practice, that they should be paid for it. Like in Scotland, you get paid 80% of your guaranteed a year's teaching in your second year of, of your qualifications, and you get paid 80% of a salary. If you're a nurse who's doing your training on, on ward, you get paid. If you're a guard who's doing training on the beach, you get paid. But not teachers, teachers. who are in training get nothing. And yeah. that's, again, at that age, why would you be doing that when there are other opportunities for you? And when 
you know, it's hard enough, as you know, it's practically impossible anyway to get a house, particularly if you're in one of the cities, but everywhere in the country. And if you're being told, well, now, and then the other problem then is, of course, at the end of your two years, if you do get a job, you'll get a, the best you'll do is a one-year contract followed by another one-year contract. So you're not in a position to even approach a lender um, to, you buy know, a to, to buy a house. Yeah, and, yeah. and there, there are also there are very strange anomalies which we've raised with the department and don't understand why they haven't been fixed. I was talking to a student who was doing a, there's a project in Marino College of Education for immigrant teachers to introduce them to the Irish system. I was talking to a young Nigerian man, perfect English, a maths teacher, registered with the teaching council. Schools would snap him up but he can't get a work permit because he's from Nigeria unless they give him a two-year contract. And nobody is giving two-year contracts, they'll only give him a one-year contract. So he is, again, lost to the system. And you're, you're thinking, you know, what craziness is going on that the Department of Education and Foreign Affairs, I don't know what departments have to talk to each other. There are professions which are listed as, you know, essential professions, and you don't need you, you, you don't need the two-year contract, but I'm not sure why teaching has not been designated as such, given the crisis we have at the moment. And, and, and we have, we, like our current Minister for Education, Norma Foley, uh, in a previous life, was a, she teach- was a teacher. She yeah. was a teacher, so she's somebody who understands the system. I, I, yes, I would have thought so, and must realise the effect, as I said, the effect this is having on on the students in the schools, the effect it's having on schools, and you know the, the the workload of teachers and principals, and the you know you talk to principals and they spend so much time now trying to recruit, trying to fill in gaps, and it's bad enough when it when you're looking for full time people and you might have a full time job to offer somebody because it's very much uh, a buyer's market now for teachers. Um, so, but if you have to fill in somebody for, you know, if you need substitutes on the day, you know, there used to be teachers who would be, or were kind of waiting to get their opportunity. I'm not saying there should be loads and loads of those around, but there used to be people who, who you could call on to fill in. They're, they don't that do day is anymore. Gone. That day is if gone. If you want yeah. to cover a maternity leave. And there, and there are so many teachers will be, our principals will say to us, I will get people accepting a job. And then, you know, particularly if, if I've offered them, say, a maternity leave, and they say, oh, that's great. And then, you know, they've accepted the job and a week later they say, no, somebody's offered me a year's contract uh, or, or, you know, so I'm gone. Uh, it, and uh, particularly, it's particularly difficult in the, in the big cities because they're saying, I cannot afford to live uh, by rent, never buying buy a house if I'm in Dublin or whatever. And if I can get it offered a job down the country, I will take that uh, because it's, uh, you know, it'll be cheaper for me to, to live there. Yeah, and, and of course we have no way of knowing, but do you believe that there are many of those young teachers who would return if the conditions were right? Uh, yes, I think there are. And in fact, one minister, I can't which minister was, was out there a few years ago and telling them all to come home. And then they said, yes, but what are you going to do with this? Are you going to put us at the bottom? And that, they were told, yes. I mean, they, in other words, there, there are enough there that ministers have gone out to try and ask them to come home, but they're not offering them any incentives, is what I'm saying. And I, I think there are. Now, obviously, all of them won't rush home, but I think what happens is, for a lot of them, they've done a few years, uh, there may be a couple or they may not or whatever, but they may say, well, look, I actually want, I don't want to live in, you know, this is great, I'm earning money, the weather is good, but I actually, I want to live in Ireland. I want, if I'm having children, I want to bring them up in Ireland. Now, so I'll think about coming home and then I look at the prospect and you say, well, why would I do that? As I say, you will either go, go you'll either stay in, say, Dubai or you will go come back to Ireland and work in maybe in the private sector, or you might go somewhere else, like, you know, the UK or somewhere, you know, where, okay, it's not Ireland, but at least, you know, the people speak English or whatever. I'm not going to come back to somewhere where, 
um, I am going to be shoved in at the bottom of the scale in a precarious position. I won't have, it'll be at the very least two years before I'll have any permanency in my job. And I have seven, eight, nine years experience, which is not being acknowledged at okay. all. Okay, all right. And, and I, know, I know from a lot of parents, I find it really unfair when their sons or daughters Absolutely. have a particular career path is, that they want to go down and they can't get the subject that they it, need. It, it is hugely unfair. Yeah, on the students okay. All right, uh, dear it certainly is an issue that is not going away. But no. listen, thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. No, you're welcome. Thank Good you morning much. to you. Bye-bye. That is Dermot Dupuyer and he is the Deputy General Secretary of the Association of Secondary Teachers of Ireland. Very annoyed with the Minister for Education and her department uh, who are not doing enough for the teachers that we need and of course if I brought on somebody from the Irish National Teachers, the INTO any of the primary schools or any of the primary school principals, they tell you there's a similar story uh, trying to fill vacancies. It does seem like we are beginning to win the war on litter and this is right across uh, the country but there still seems to be an ongoing problem with disposable coffee cups and that's according to the final litter survey of 2023 by the Irish Business Against Litter. Joining me from Eyeball is uh, Connor Horgan. Uh, good morning to you, Connor. Good morning, Patricia. Um, now, this is the first survey, I'm right in saying, that the, no area was deemed seriously littered. That's right. Um, when we conceived this project over 20 years ago, we had um, you know various grades for levels of cleanliness. At the very top, we had cleaner than European norms. And at the very bottom, we had litter black spots. And back then, we had a number of towns that finished in the litter black spot category. We said, OK, let's get rid of the litter black spots, first of all. And that happened relatively quickly. The next lowest ranking was seriously littered. And it's taken 20 years, but now we've seen that ban disappear as well. Now, let's hope that that's a sustained thing. But, and, um, and never and never to return. Now, the town of Mallow can be really, really proud, uh, Connor, finishing in second place out of the 40 areas surveyed. Uh, absolutely. It's its best ever position in the rankings. Um, it had no heavily littered sites. Seven of the top of the sites were top ranking. They include uh, the grounds of Mallow Castle and the River Walk, Muddy Hill Car Park. The the main street had a lot of derelict buildings, but they hadn't become a magnet for litter, as can so often happen. Um, so that was a good result there. So overall, yes, Mallow was pipped just by Maynooth, which was exceptionally clean this time around. So, so a superb result. OK, for the so that's, that, that certainly is good news. But then on the other end of the scale, we've got Cork City Centre. Um, while moderately littered, there was a bit of an improvement on previous surveys. Yes, there was. But bear in mind, Cork City Centre, like several years ago, was consistently clean. So this has been, a, a, you know, a, a decline in, in the fortunes of Cork City Centre. That continues. It has improved to moderately littered. Previously, it was littered. Um, the, the inspectors talked about major works and regeneration projects have taken place. That has um, improved the overall presentation of many sites. Um, half of the site survey got the top litter grade. That's a big achievement. But um, it would need more of the sites to come clean for the overall city to be deemed clean. So work to be done there. OK, and then you also had Cork Northside and the Mahan uh, area. Now, they unfortunately got the littered tag. I mean, out of the 40 places surveyed, they came in 35th and 36th. They're, they're, they're really at the wrong end. Yes. Now, look, it's a league table, so someone has to be at the bottom. And it's very likely that it will be city areas and possibly disadvantaged city areas. But... You know, nonetheless, we can't be happy when an area is labelled littered. 
Um, Mahan was uh, previously seriously littered, so this is an improvement. But um, we need to see further improvement. There were too few clean sites in Cork Northside. There were a number of litter black spots. Um, Mahan again, very much to the bottom, the bottom of the league. Um, some some which could improve. Some sites could improve their grade with a little work. There were no litter black spots. That's a positive. But the Avenue de Rennes, Capanul and Ballinour Avenue were all heavily littered. So uh, not a pretty picture overall, but you know, reason for hope. Yeah, I did see in the Echo yesterday uh, when your report had been uh, published that uh, one city Sinn Féin councillor, uh, Kenneth Collins, he says it's unfair to target individual communities like the North Side and he said areas across major cities should be reviewed again and he's actually proposing that the North Side, that it be excluded from future eyeball surveys. And I, when, when I read that, I thought back to a number of years ago when Mallow was doing really badly in the eyeball survey and there was a similar call. I mean, removing it from a survey doesn't solve the problem of littering. No, and we've said this to councillors in Cork as well when I had the chapter to speak to them. You know, I, I sort of said we'd, we'd, you know, happily remove them from our programme if we felt it would lead to an improved result. But if we just walk away from a town, like with no assurances giving that anything's going to be done in our absence, why would we do that? We're here to keep pressure on the local authority. We feel it has a value. It has borne fruit across the country. We hope that will be the case in these Cork areas as well. So we won't walk away as long as there's a job to be done. Yeah, walk, walking away almost feels like we're burying our head in the sand yes, as if the litter will uh, disappear. Now, talk to me about the single-use uh, coffee uh, cups. Every single Tidy Towns group that is listening to us this morning across the city and county will know all about collecting up these cups. They, they will, and we've spoken about it before, Patricia, and I suppose we thought it was a COVID thing. It clearly isn't, and we've taken to this habit of of uh, drinking coffee outside and on the move. So I think the coffee cups are here to stay. It was a surprise, I must admit, that we saw a rise this time round in coffee cups. Um, 30% of all the sites we surveyed, and there was like over 500 sites, they showed coffee cup litter. That's really shocking. Um, And I think, as I've said before, you know, people talk about how recyclable they are and how compostable they are. But they're not being binned. They're, people leave the coffee shop they uh, and, and, and they just put them on the street. And if they do bin them, they put them in general waste. So uh, the only solution I can see here is the levy as a means of incentivizing people away from takeaway cups towards refillable cups. Um, you know, I do it myself and it's no hardship. There will be occasions where maybe a takeaway cup is necessary, but I don't think it's unfair to charge 25 cents for that. For, for those occasions. Yeah, but what has happened with the coffee cup levy? I, I thought it was due to be introduced early yes, this year. Yes, it was due to be, it was, and it was also due to be introduced the previous year. And I did hear noises, now unconfirmed, that the EU may have an issue with a levy like that, um, particularly when the coffee cups are recyclable. But um, as I say, that's irrelevant in our book because they're just ending up on the ground and a refillable item will solve that problem. You know, lots of the litter we see, cigarette butts, sweet wrappers, there's no easy solution to getting them off their streets. But in the case of coffee cups, there is a mechanism available to us which I think can make a change and I think we should use it.
Yeah, I've spoken, uh, I spoke last year with the business uh, people in in Killarney. They're really leading uh, the way. They're, uh, they're probably, are they, I don't know if they're the only town, but they certainly were they the are. first. They are the only town. They did that voluntary ban and it is working so well in Killarney. And with a minimum of dissent from the community and from retailers. In fact, the community seems to have really embraced it. Um, and I know that the people cleaning up Killarney are talking about the benefits it has. Yeah. It's had. So, so you would worry about all the noise being generated elsewhere in opposition to a coffee cup levy. It, you know, it doesn't seem to tally with what's happening on the ground in Killarney where people seem to be happily doing without these cups. And Killarney is, you know, a big tourist area. So they have a lot of visitors coming yeah, into and, the town. And, and, they're, and the visitors are rowing in with this idea. They, they are. And those visitors are not bringing reusable cups with them from their planes. So they're managing to, 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 to make do under this new scenario. So if it works for Killarney, I can't see why it can't work for other towns. And I'm sort of disappointed that we haven't heard of other towns um, following, following suit. suit. Yeah. Not to date, at least. Yeah, but I worry with the, if the coffee cup levy gets pushed onto the back burner, there's going to be no incentive, I think, for other towns to follow suit. I think, you know, initially, uh, Killarney, while of course they did it from an environmental point of view, but they also were thinking of this coffee cup levy coming in. So that sort of spurred them on to do it. But if the coffee cup levy, for whatever reason, be it an EU ruling, gets knocked on the head I think yeah. we're, we're, you know it's, it's it acts as an incentive I think to get people it, it does and uh, it is worry it. you're right yeah and then in a number of weeks uh, Connor, we're going to have the deposit and return on all of our plastic bottles and uh, cans I took part uh, last year our, one of our local stores one of our Aldi stores had a deposit and return and so over three months I collected up all my bottles and cans mm-hmm. again bit of a new at the start it's just getting into the habit of yeah. bringing that bag of bottles and cans with you but it's a little bit like the plastic bag levy. We all bring our, our reusable bags with us now. It's just, it's habit forming, isn't it? It is. And I mean, I've experienced it myself having spent a couple of months in Germany last year where it's, you know, all households partake in a similar sort of programme and you do get used to it. I think, um, you know, it, it's, it's a nuisance maybe to consumers and because in many cases the benefits are quite intangible, just improving our recycling rates, um, I'd like to point out that I think the benefits will be very tangible in a cleaner environment. And I think they'll be pretty immediate as well. One of the reasons I say that is because our statistics this time around show that, um, again, of all the hundreds of sites that we surveyed, nearly half of them featured cans or plastic bottles. And of course, these are the items we will hopefully see removed from our streets because of the uh, the DRS scheme. So I think if that's the case, we're going to be looking at a much cleaner environment, even in the short term. So we'll be uh, I'll be really excited to see um, what our next survey shows and the survey after. Yeah, that. Yeah, and I think this in, time this time next year, when we'll be nearly a year into it, it'll be it'll be really interesting to see the difference between. You know, and, I, th- I think it will. And I mean, those littered cities at the bottom, in theory, we should see those rise en masse. So let's see if it you know, fulfills that promise. OK. And very finally, somebody who is a volunteer with the local Tidy Towns group uh, says, ask Connor about disposable vapes. We're sick to the teeth of picking them up when we're out on our litter picks. I'm hearing it consistently, Patricia. Um, and they're on the rise. Um 
There is a debate about banning them. I think there's a consultation put forward by government or that's pending. And um, like our belief would be that they should be banned. Again, because like the coffee cups, there's a refillable alternative. And they are a litter form that we can, in one fell swoop, if you like, eliminate, which isn't the case with a lot of them. And um, We've seen them now featuring about 10% of all our sites. That's not on a par with other litter forms, but it's twice as prevalent as a year ago. Yeah, and there's lithium batteries. They're so bad for the there's environment. Batteries, and that bat- mixture of batteries and plastic yeah. makes them extremely difficult to dispose of properly. Okay. All right, uh, Connor, we leave it there. Thank you for that. Speak again in another Thank few months. Patricia. But thanks for Indeed. joining us. Uh, that is uh, Connor Horgan of the Irish Business Against uh, Litter Group. 0818 I mentioned the bumper spend um, that the record-breaking Christmas uh, spend at all of our supermarkets uh, this year. We all went out and uh, spent like uh, the shops were never going to open again after Christmas. John says, has anybody else noticed that the quality of food has deteriorated? Uh, Now, John says since the recession, so I don't know quite, um, is it the pandemic you're talking about? I don't know quite what what you mean. We're not in a recession and fingers crossed we won't be in a recession. But anyway, um, or is it the previous recession you're talking about? Give me more of a timescale on that, uh, John. But John reckons that biscuits are tasting false Things like fish fingers and chocolates, they're all bland. They're not tasting like they used to taste. Has anybody else noticed that? That the quality of food has deteriorated in recent years. Your thoughts welcomed on that. Paula McCarthy has been on to us to say that the Skibbereen Eagle Tregumna Bingo, organised by Tregumna Threshing Committee, is cancelled. And that is due to poor weather conditions in the West Cork uh, area. And they'll let us know when the bingo is going to be rescheduled because all the money's raised from that bingo, they give to local health-related charities. But if you were planning on going along, uh, to the Skibbereen Eagle to Gumna for the bingo tonight. It has been uh, cancelled. And it does look like West Cork seems to be getting the worst of the weather uh, today. Maggie out in Shirkin Island was on to us to say uh, wet snow and rain here since 8am this morning. I feel exactly like Michael from Dunmanway who contacted you earlier uh, who says Met Air never seemed to factor in how big Cork county is and that West Cork in particular is a very large large varied geographical area uh, with weather variations to match yes, so I suppose it's hard for Miss Aaron to actually be able to pinpoint how bad the weather is going to uh, be but certainly getting in a lot of reports from West Cork that if some parts of West Cork seem to be getting uh, quite a lot of snow that seems to be landing as well uh, Mike says please keep in mind the great people who drive the gritting lorries especially the ones that go out early in the morning they are going out on roads in front of them that are not gritted. So let's remember the great workers who grit our roads, says Mike. Absolutely. And someone else says, just to be aware of some parts of Bantry, the roads are in very, very poor condition. I'm from Dunmanway and I got a bit of a fright this morning when I went. I needed to go to Bantry. I didn't go any further. I felt the roads were quite dangerous. People need to be very, very careful. And Heidi says, hi, uh, Patricia, listening to you uh, this morning and once again, hearing people text the programme asking you to remind drivers to put their lights on, particularly in the winter mornings we're having at the moment. I ask myself, what the heck has ever happened to common sense? Surely drivers should know what to do for their own safety and for the safety of uh, others. Yeah, you, you would think on mornings like this morning and with the fog that we had yesterday morning and the morning before, you would think that people would instantly uh, light up, but not everybody does and I don't know why. 0818 
103103 on teachers that we spoke about with the ASTI who are calling on the Minister uh, for Education, Norma Foley, who is herself a secondary school teacher in a former life. They're claiming that she doesn't seem to have the political will to tackle the problem of retention and the recruitment of uh, teachers. Somebody says, I think the government should track down on people who get a free college and a master's degree in this country. And then they decide to jump on a plane or a boat and leave the country. They should be made to pay back to the taxpayer for all of their free education. Some of them won't go teaching full time because other siblings are getting free college in the house and it would oh, because it's a means tested payment I'm assuming is what you're talking about with a, a Susie grant I, I, listen I don't know if that's happening much that somebody would turn out a full time job because it's going to affect somebody Susie's grant uh, in the, the house but I know the point you're making about people that get educated in this country we've discussed it many times for doctors and nurses as well should they be forced to stay in this country for a set period of time work in the public system, either work in schools or work in hospitals uh, by way of paying back for their education. And I'm assuming that this is this is on a similar vein from a list, from another listener by text who says, I believe the teachers can work for two years. And I'm not quite sure what you mean by that statement. Is it overseas? I'm not, I'm not quite sure what it is. And then they take time off for travel. My nephew is in Australia. He's a secondary school teacher. My niece is taking a year off next year to do the same and go to Australia. Teachers unions are very powerful. Can nurses and other professions uh, do this? Would love if you uh, looked into it. Yeah, well, that's the problem we're having is that young people, we've always had young people getting their degrees, getting their education. And there'll be many people listening to this programme who are in their 40s and 50s who will, have, who will say that they, in their 20s, would have spent time abroad. At one stage, America was the place uh, to go as Australia has started to open up, more and more people go to Australia and they might do a year, they might do two years. But what we're ha- what's happening now, particularly when it comes to people in the health profession and when it comes to teachers, because worldwide there's a shortage of particular professions. So all other countries are fighting to encourage people to move to their shores and there's a huge, huge push to get Irish people to go abroad because we're known to have a really good education system and we are known to be good workers and like we you know we train excellent teachers excellent all across the health professions all across the multi-D teams like the physiotherapists the occupational therapists the speech and language the nurses the midwives the doctors at all different levels so all other countries want our young Irish to go abroad and we've always had that but it's getting them to come back particularly when there's a shortage and there's a teaching shortage in this country that's been ongoing for a number of years and that's what the ASTI I was on about we need to make sure that the conditions are right when these teachers decide to return home because many of them go abroad with the intention that they will one day come back. But what's happening now is that a number of teachers are trying to come back and they're only being given a part-time job or they're only being given a fixed term position which is often only for a year after they return and obviously if you've only got a one-year contract it's impossible for you then to go to a bank and say can I get a mortgage etc. And then we know that there's parts of the country like a lot of the cities, Dublin would be one, Cork City would be uh, another, where there is an issue with the cost of housing. And that's making it very difficult 
for some of our teachers to return because if they want to return and they get a job in one of the larger cities they find it impossible then to be able to afford uh, a home either to rent or to buy so there's, there's knock on housing definitely is uh, is added and is exacerbating the problem that we're having with trying to get enough teachers to work in our secondary and in our primary schools but anything that can be done to encourage those that went abroad to come back that's what the ASTI is saying and they're pointing the finger at blame at the Minister for Education saying there just doesn't seem to be a political will to tackle the problem. You know, the departments say they've put in, you know, up to 30 measures but none of those measures seem to be working. One we only looked at before Christmas was the one where they were trying to get schools to share a teacher. So the idea would be for example if uh, two schools in say Bantry for example um, needed a biology teacher and the, so they would, you would get one teacher who would work across both schools but that scheme just for whatever reason doesn't seem to have worked. The last time I looked at it I think they managed to get one teacher onto some kind of a contract who worked between two schools. It just doesn't seem to uh, work and I don't know why but that certainly was a scheme that the department might say oh look we've put that in place and if they're using that as an example it just isn't working. So more needs to be done in order to encourage those that do want to come back to make sure that the conditions are right and that would go across doctors as well as nurses and all of the other healthcare professions. 0818 103 103 and listen to this, this really made me smile, this beautiful WhatsApp in from a listener, unfortunately no name on this but this this is gorgeous 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 WhatsApp that says Morning Patricia, you might wonder what I mean when I tell you I found a time machine in my attic yesterday in the form of a bundle of letters that I had received, some of them many, many decades ago. At that time, I'd moved to Dublin for my first job and there were letters from my mum updating me on life at home. Letters from other UCC graduates sharing their exciting plans for their future lives. Letters from a friend who had moved to the US of A and was encouraging me to join him over there. As I read letter after letter, I was transported back to those days when my life was just beginning. I found some treasure in those pages of forgotten memories, nestling in a sense of wonder and adventure with no idea of what the coming years would bring. Coincidentally, Patricia, I heard you speak about letter writing earlier this morning and I really do hope that more people will return to what has now become a lost art. Emails and WhatsApp messages are fast and convenient but they won't be found in an attic by chance at a future date to recreate the world of your early adulthood on a cold January day that felt for a while like it was a summer from the past. Isn't that gorgeous? Beautifully put together uh, WhatsApp. And, and yes, to stumble across a bundle of old uh, letters. And I'm assuming you were up in the attic probably putting away the Christmas decorations and well done that you kept that bundle of letters. And I know we were only talking last week about decluttering and you know, getting rid of uh, clutter. I don't think a bundle of letters is a uh, clutter. Delighted that you stumbled upon them and delighted that you, you kept them. But you you are hitting the nail on the head with there will be future generations who will never have that receiving a letter from at home. And of course, back in the days when you went to Dublin from uh, Cork, 
that was the only way. You know, there was phones, but it was it was expensive to telephone somebody. So that was the way you did it. You know, mums and dads. Well, mums, maybe some of the dads as well, but it was mainly the mums who wrote to the sons and daughters who were up in Dublin, even though you're probably coming home most weekends. But you still would have got a letter from the, uh, the mammy updating you on everything that was happening in in the neighbourhood or in the, in the parish. And it's lovely to have it now. So uh, well done. And thank you for sharing that uh, with us. And yesterday we were talking, uh, sadly, about neglect of animals and dogs in uh, particular when I had the inspector on from the ISPCA. Well, I'm assuming that's prompted a text in from a listener who said they've sent on photographs, but it was sent in by text message. So we don't get the photographs. If you want to get photographs in, you need to send them by WhatsApp to the same number, but you need to WhatsApp or sending it in by a traditional text message. The, photo, the, the photos don't come through because it's in through a computer that your text messages come. So if you want to WhatsApp on those pictures, you can, t- as I say, the same number 0862103103. But the listener says, hi, um, I'm attaching photographs of five dogs that I feel are kept in absolute misery by a farmer in the North Cork area. Now, I have reported it to the Gardaí twice, but nothing has been done. They're living in dog trailers with nothing to lie on, only a steel floor. It is a disgrace. Uh, thanking uh, you. I'm surprised when you rang the guards that they didn't tell you to get onto the ISPCA because that's what you need. You need to get onto uh, one of, like Caroline Flaherty, who joined us yesterday. She's an inspector with the ISPCA in Cork because it's the inspectors with the ISPCA who go out and investigate any of those. I mean, that sounds like neglect, ne- a neglect issue if they're in, if they're living in such absolute misery. And you're just thinking how cold the weather is at the moment and those dog trailers obviously not insulated in any way. And the fact that there's only a steel floor or the coldness uh, of it. I would suggest that you contact the ISPCA now. You can email them helpline at ispca.ie or they do have an 0818 uh, number and I'm assuming that's a nationwide number and then they can put you, you can get a number for Cork or they'll take the details and pass it on to one of the Cork inspectors 0818-515-515-0818-515-515 That's the ISPCA and to me they're the ones that you should be uh, contacting. And just one very final one in Eleanor from Carrigaline uh, was on to us to say she opened her front door I'm assuming this was just this morning and there was a box from DHL left on her front door. The only problem was, says Eleanor, wasn't expecting a delivery from DHL and when she checked the parcel is not for her. Now she lives in Hillcrest in Carrigaline on close examination of the address on the DHL package. It is for Hillcrest but it's for Hillcrest in Summerhill North not Hillcrest in Carrigaline. But what really annoyed Eleanor was that the air code on the box is not her air code. The air code is the correct air code for the house in Hill, Hillcrest in Summer Hill uh, North. So Eleanor is wondering how many others were faced with that situation over Christmas. She said she does know of people who ended up having to travel around. She heard of people, for example, travelling from uh, River Stick to other parts of Carrigaline just to collect their parcels, which landed on the wrong door. And obviously if somebody was contacted to say your parcel is here, 
in the lead up to Christmas if it was a Christmas present and you were waiting on it people would uh, travel. Now we are getting on to uh, DHL but it, did that happen to uh, many uh, people and if you could, can you just get on directly to DHL and get them to come back and pick up uh, the parcel or is it up to Eleanor to try and work out who is the owner of this box? 0818 103 103 You can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 C103 Jobs Teleporter Driver is wanted for a development site in Mayfield. CVs please to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com. A mechanic is wanted on a full or a part-time basis. Now it's to work on cars, 4x4s and rally cars. And it's in the Roscarbury area. You can ring Jason for further details 87 A veterinary receptionist is required. Now it's to cover a maternity leave in Mallow. CVs, please, to Blackwater Veterinary Clinic, Blackwater Vet Clinic Jobs at gmail.com. And the Maria Immaculata Community College, that's in Dunmanway, they've got a full time vacancy for a general operative. It's for painting, grass cutting, classroom, and building lockup, etc. You can contact Maria Matalaka. Imatalata on 063 046 Bit of a tongue twister. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities if you go online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Just before Christmas, I spoke with my next guest. It was to do with problems facing the residents of Shirkin Island when their local bus needed to be replaced. Magella O'Neill Collins also mentioned that she was an artist and was about to have an art exhibition in Skibbereen. I'm delighted to say that that art exhibition opens this weekend in the West Cork Arts Centre and Magella once again joins me. Good morning to you Magella. Hello, Patricia. How are you? I'm Thank ver- you so much for having me. Well, I'm, I'm thrilled to have you back on the programme. And firstly, I'm told the local bus for Shirkin got sorted. We're doing good. We still have our red bus that we were given from the Bantry gentleman. Okay. Um, uh, he, and uh, when they have something more permanent sorted, um, we'll be giving that back, bus back to them. But we're, we're great because we're moving around. What we really do need to solve the problem to getting a more permanent bus. Yeah, long term, long term. But, but at so least... So far, so you're, good. You're, we're not walking anyway. Yeah, <laughs> you're moving. You're, you're moving we're now. Moving. Your we're art moving. exhibition was inspired by the ghost ship, the MV Alta, which was washed up near Ballycotton a number of years ago. So take me back. When did you first become aware of this ghost ship? Well... After Storm Dennis uh, four years ago, um, I saw it on the TV and there was actually a few pieces of it in the newspaper and the examiner, if I'm right. On, on, and for some reason, I the first, I suppose the first time I saw it, I thought, oh my God, because we live so close to the sea, this could be us. She could have actually just rocked up outside our door and, uh, you know, and then I, there was a lot of things came into my head about climate change, about how disposable man is with all types of objects. And when I saw the size of the boat and realised, oh my God, that she travelled all the way from from Barbados to Ballycotton on her own, unmanned, with, um, I suppose, she was completely at the mercy of the sea. 
And yet, with all our satellite dishes and our AI and all the technology that man has, um, she just landed in Ballycotton, unidentified until after the storm, you know. And and to everyone else, it's a rusting eyesore. But yes. but not but in your mind's eye, it isn't a rusting eyesore. No, for a lot of reasons, she reminds me. I think she should be left there to begin with because she's a reminder to man that we in today's world we dispose of things very easily. And I had a, I suppose, I became very obsessed with her. I read everything. I got. I had an amazing um, friend in Bear Island, Mary. Uh, Sullivan, who was able to, uh, I was able to get some photographs from her because I made a conscious decision of not going down to Ballycotton. That was the first thing I did with the walk because I didn't want to break my, I suppose, dream of her or my imagination of what she was. So, um, so you're so sorry, you've, you've, you've never seen it in the flesh? No, okay. never seen it. <laughs> and that was a very conscious decision because I had this vision of her uh, just, you know, she, she reminded me of life. You know, of how we, you know, she, I suppose, going back to the very beginning of the history of her, she was built in Greece and she was made to just be a coastal boat. But again, man abused her and they sent her off on a long journey to Barbados. And she changed her name 14 times. Uh, The companies kept changing her name. So that fascinated me, how she was being changed by man just to suit themselves, literally. And when she got into trouble with 10 people on board, they were airlifted off her. Then she was actually taken to be salvaged. And during that time, she got pirated. And that's what, then something happened and she was just left loose. So she travelled right across the Atlantic and she went through the doldrums where, you know, there is no wind. It's totally kind of, that would be my imagination of where she mm-hmm. went because she went off the shipping lanes. Obviously, with, you know, all the other, she, she avoided, which was a great thing because she could have caused a huge collision because there was nobody on board. And, um, like, I, I did, I got lots of photographs and I got lots of, I even have the plans of, you know, the drawing plans, her original drawing plans. But when I laid it all out in my studio, what really became important to me was the painting of, of what I would imagine as an artist, her journey. So it, it, she, it's quite colourful. There's a lot of pinks and yellows which are completely different to my normal palette. But I I, I think, you know, there's a lot of, of underlining things about my own life that I can actually relate to the Alta and how life is so... Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. One minute you're sailing along and everything is absolutely grand. But then all of a sudden, you can hit a storm or you can hit... We're all going to hit that rock one day. Mm. And, you know, um, we hope that we'll steer our course and not have too many collisions. Well, John, and, uh, I've, I've seen, I mean, I've only seen photographs that were replicated in, in the papers. Um, and it's, it's stunning. 
I mean, you're, you're the, I love the colour palettes, the, the, the colour palette that you've used. And um, I tell you, I was uh, doing research, and there's another boat in Lanzarote that was actually washed up on the shore there. But that was brought, that was brought in out of the shipping lanes, right? And I, I happened to be on the beach, and I was just sitting there looking out at sea, and there was this beautiful yellow container passing by, and there was a little girl next to me who was eating a pink ice cream, right? <laughs> and that particular moment, I got a phone call to say one of my family members had being diagnosed with cancer and I was there saying I'm in the most beautiful part of the world where there's blue skies and there's this beautiful yellow boat right in front of me is out, but you could see it in the distance and a child who I didn't know who owned it a little bit but she it reminded me of when I was young myself and you know that yellow and pink ice cream mm. and I thought you know no matter where you are in the world a tragedy is going to hit you who find you was the same with the ads. That I think that kept drawing me because, like, even in this, even when she landed on the rocks in Ballycotton, man still bored to her. They set her on fire. Yeah. Ripped her. Yeah. You know. There was graffiti strawled on her. Yeah. Yes. And, and sure, like we that. were constantly having to issue warnings to people that, you know, it was dangerous for people could fall in, there could be an accident on board. It would be hard then to get somebody off if they were yes. had, had yes. an accident. It was, yeah. Yeah. But she never stopped making, you know, like, I think she's much more than a ship. She's a kind of a, she's sent to us for the reason that we, sh- we need to really stop and look at how we behave and how we use, you know, like even the law needs to be looked at to protect us. If she, Like we were blessed that she wasn't full of anything like chemicals or that there wasn't an spit off or, you know, all of these things. And this can happen again in a, in a blink of an eye. And then we mightn't be so lucky. But that really wasn't where I was going my work. My work was more on the journey that I went with her on my journey. And everything, a lot of things changed in my life while, while you know, while I was doing the work. And, like, when you dream about something, like last night, no, I couldn't sleep because I was so kind of putting the show together today. And, uh, you know, um she, she's really kind of, I suppose, she's made a big impact in my own life as an artist. And um, and it's not finished yet, you know. And somebody sent me these amazing images of her today, like from yesterday. And she's getting smaller and smaller. If I won the lottery, I, I'd go and salvage her. I'm a jealous. And Camille, I also read that the exhibition, it's inspired you to take up swimming. It sure has, because... Well, there's two reasons. Uh, um, I, I usually, um, my work is in the Yellow Door in Baltimore during the summertime and all year round, really. And uh, the gentleman there um, was doing some fundraising for mental health. So he asked me, would I, would I involve myself? So I wouldn't have been a swimmer. I would have been the opposite in every way. So I started doing a cold show and then I said, look, I can't do this anymore. This is cheating. So then a friend of mine, Mona, um, who happened to be in the kitchen and said, I'll go with you. So the two of us started to go to the sea. And it really helped my work because it w- I usually look at the horizon or I'd be, you know, in, on the island you're looking out at the sea, you're in the safety of the land. But now every day I go in to the sea. I mean, this morning the tide wasn't right. So when I go home this evening, I'll make it, my, it might be a bit dark, but it's just, it's another, it's another way of me feeling 
you know, what the ship must have endured. But it's bitterly cold at the moment, Michelle. It is. But you know something? If you had said this to me a year ago, I would have said absolutely. (laughs) I'm the most un-outdoorsy person you'll ever meet, right? Yeah. Uh, But it's just so good for the head. Yeah, everyone says that. Everyone I know that does see swimming uh, says the same thing. Okay, 33 paintings in total. Um, Was it a job to get them off the island and get them to Skibbereen? I was blessed. I have this amazing guy called TJ and he does all my moving and shifting and he drove on to the island. The ferry service is a fantastic service. They were able to drive on. We loaded everything up. Um, We had to do two runs because uh, one run went out before Christmas it went to be scanned for to do a website and also we're doing a catalogue book, which is brilliant. And um, yes, uh, I was actually very terrified because the weather got really bad. I know, and, and I that's, said, oh that's what island life is all about. Yes. You're, you're, you're looking to, to see what the yes. weather is, is like, but, but they've and all arrived in Skibbereen. They've all arrived Great. safely and, and Davron, the director, is downstairs at the moment uh, moving paintings around the place. And we had a great journey, myself and Anne as well, because she came in over the three years. She's come in every six weeks to me. So it was great to have somebody with a very, very uh, academic eye and to be able to, you know, it, I didn't feel so alone. I had somebody in the journey that was really constructively, really positive to me uh, from, you know, from a curator to an artist. So uh, I'll miss that. Well, you know, I'll miss those, I suppose, interaction. I know, I know. There'll be, there'll be another exhibition, wait and see. <laughs> and this one opens this, it's this Saturday, isn't it, the 13th? It opens at 2 o'clock on Saturday. The 13th, uh, the 13th until 13th February the, the 24th and 33 paintings in uh, total. And I know artists paint pictures and have exhibitions in order to sell paintings, but is it going to be hard for you to part with some of these paintings? It is. It's the first body of work that I've ever really done that I feel very attached to, you know. And uh, it's the first time I'm 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 really confident about the work, and I'm very uh, I, like they all kind of sing to one another. They they kind of have a, this kind of conversation with one another, and it's you know it's an easy. I'm watching Anne below putting it up this morning, and it's fitting in. You know, uh, the fear that of course. I mean, I'm nervous, but I'm more excited than I am nervous because I, I'm proud of it, you know. And well, you should be. You should be. And, and you speak and, with and such great passion that, about it. You know, um, but there's been great feedback from people so far, you know, from, you know, from... I suppose if, if people can learn one thing, that is to be, you know, to be mindful of not throwing things away, like... You know, both, and you know, we need to be careful of, of how we dispose of things. We need to think, and and I suppose, thank God, nobody got drowned or, or nobody got hit by her. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, okay. Um, and, all right, I'm 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 running out of time, unfortunately. Paula Intergomna no, okay. says, so much "Well, Paula, in, Patricia, Paula no. Intergomna says, well done, Magella. You do fabulous work, and we want to wish you the best of luck with the exhibition, which is running in the West Cork Art Centre in Skibbereen from this Saturday, and it runs right through until the 24th of February. I know we'll speak again, uh, Magella, but in the meantime, thank you for that, and good luck with the exhibition.
Thank you, and you're more than welcome to come. And everyone who are, who's around on that Saturday, please come more along. Than welcome to okay, God bless. Thank Mind you. yourself. Bye Thanks bye a million. Bye bye. That is a Shirkin Island uh, resident and artist, Magella O'Neill Collins. 0818-103-103. Lines are open. Court today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Cork City. The city's oldest and most iconic barbershop is nearing the end of an era following the heartbreaking news that the Baldy Barber in Blackpool is due to close. Michael Moriarty joins me to explain more. Good morning to you, Michael. Bye, Patricia. And you're, you're welcome. You're putting the shop up for sale. How difficult a decision was this to make? Hard decision. A hard decision, but it's reality. Business is down 40% for the last 12 months or more. And... Uh, had to put money into the into the shop last year, and when your senior staff say to you after twenty five years, they look, you're only wasting your time putting money into the into the place because our Blackpool has been decimated. They've actually moved the our, our Blackpool into the shopping centre, so our credit union is gone, our post office is gone, our banks are gone, Halley's Bar is gone, Bridgen is gone, so there is nothing actually around our area now. Plenty of cars passing by, but then again, also there. A couple of years ago, there was only one barber shop in Cork. Now there's Blackpool. There's about seven barber shops in Blackpool now. So and we yeah. don't have we don't we don't have the free parking, which is yeah. a big which and, is a big thing. And they are, yeah, the, the footfall therefore um, oh, yeah, 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 isn't yeah. around. That's what Noel Sheen says to me all the time. They're about the largest. That's therefore we don't have the footfall anymore. You know. And was COVID really the beginning of? It was. Yeah. It was. I said to you before, uh, what they call it, uh, when we were four years ago, I was 14 euro haircut. I did my figures. I'm 16 euro, euro haircut now, including VAT. Yeah. I'd want to be charging 20 euro haircut now to go back to uh, where I was uh, four years ago. I sat down with a, a, a lad who, who's into finance, and he said if you went to 18, he said you'd be still uh, dropping, uh, losing 21,000. If you charge eighteen euro here for to pay your staff and all that, and you know, could uh, and would but would you would you not consider charging the twenty? Surely people will pay that. I, some will, some will, some won't. And I, I'll be quite honest. I don't want to be charging people. I, I have I have fathers and coming their mothers with three boys, and uh, I charge the same price for everyone. Patricia, whether you're two twenty two or ninety two, it's the same job for everyone. Okay. Yeah. Even the ball fellas, I said to them, sure I have to go looking for you here. <laughs> and I have to buy a pair of dashes for that. You know? That's so, it's one standard. And, a, oh, and, yeah. and and as well, let's be honest, you know your customers, so you know what, oh, I do. what I they do. can and afford as well. Guys. And they're very decent guys. And if I put up the prices, my staff are going to lose their tips. You know? And a few tips keeps them going as well. Because they are on a basic pay and they're on, also on commission. And the so, tips, but, yeah. and, and, and tips, and the tips are cash into the hand. Thanks for the God. Well, uh, I don't want to be. T- I, I don't want to be taking that away from them. I know uh, during and after COVID, I would have heard from certainly a lot of hairdressers that the black market was having a huge, huge oh, impact. Yeah. Is, uh, uh, is, I t- is it the same for barbers? Oh God, more than ever, more than ever. All these young lads are doing the, are doing these uh, cash courses, and uh, as you can see, some of the haircuts are shocking. All the all the users machines. They can't use the scissors. They can't use the cut short. And I, I think some of the haircuts are absolutely woeful. 
they're not even blended in properly. Even the zero all the way up, and I see the lines, and, and they're not in there. I, I, I just can't have a figure out. I know in my time, you, you, you wouldn't leave the customer out, and, and you wouldn't be left to do the next haircut until, until you got the, until you were taught how to, uh, to, to blend the hair uh, properly in, you know? Yeah, the quality of the standards. Of, yeah, the standards. Yeah, yeah. Some, yeah. some young kids are very good, but uh, some of the haircuts are more and you can you can see them. I I not my customers, not all of my customers, but I see people who um who who got other places for haircuts the day before COVID. Beautiful heads of hair, and all the hair. They're all they're all home haircuts now in the story. The stride, absolutely the stride. The wife is at home, maybe cutting the hair, and she doesn't give a damn. He's sixty years of age, get a bit feeble, and, and uh, no pride, no pride about the about where they look. You know when I got to mass there. And, and I look at the back of the head here and I say, oh my God almighty. That's a home for job. The, for, for, for the sake of a few bob, yeah. why, why would they leave themselves and, going like and, that? And it's, 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 I always feel it's the same for, for ladies going to the hairdressers as it is for men going to the barber shop. It's more than just getting your hair cut. It's, it's almost like a, a social uh, event, it, isn't it? It is, it is, it is. It's a great treat. It's a great treat and a great chat as well. And uh, I know I don't do teas and coffees with Lango. If I wanted a cup of tea or a cup of coffee, I'd sell the kettle inside in the back. And I'll have a cup of tea as well when you're making yours. <laughs> I, wasn't going to, I wasn't going to serve them tea but, because I was too busy. Yeah. But uh, it, was, it was a great crack. I talk about matching it. I talk about the son getting the communion or the sister getting engaged. or Like, the crack was always great. It was always great fun. And would people often open up to the barber uh, Mick you know that tell some them would. things that they mightn't say to some yeah. yeah yeah some would some would a lot of lads are very private now I have to say that uh, lately in the last 10-15 years but like 35 years ago it was like a family it was a family they knew what I was doing and I knew what they were doing where they were going on holidays if they had a communion if, if they had a funeral anything it was all one big happy family and there was nothing, no, no hidden, hidden agenda. There was no poor mouth or anything like that. This is the story, and that's it. You know. And if there was a match on, they would have been analysed oh, by God, everybody. Yes. People waiting the, to get their hairs the morning, done. Patricia, you'd be great because you'd have the drag hunting. You'd have hurling, football, soccer. Yeah. We had very little. We had very little um, rugby in Blackpool that time. But there was one man, Mr. Hayes. He worked in Dunlop. He played for Dolphin. And he was a big strapping man. And of course, I, I, I'd be bald half him. But I said, well, how did the rugby go for the weekend? And he killed me <laughs> because he preferred to talk about the GA <laughs> because it was more common, you know? Yeah. But the crack used to be great. And I often had a sing-song on a Monday morning. A sing-song? Yeah, on a Monday morning. <laughs> Penny Riley, the drummer boy, he was, uh, he was uh, what to call this, um, he used to be out with the, the cattle herding in the morning and it's five o'clock in the morning. And of course, he might get noticed and drop and he'd open the door at 10 o'clock and he's, Good morning, gentlemen. And then he starts singing "Does <laughs> a bright cold in his and the middle of the It was fabulous. Oh my god! And of course, your dad started that business back in 1937, so nearly 87 years ago. Right. Did yeah. you always know you'd follow him into the business, Mick? Uh, I didn't really, because I actually went away to be a Christian brother in 1963. I adopted Dunleary for a year and a half, and I thought I thought I'd be staying yeah. But anyway, I can, and I actually cut here above and above and uh, in, in, in Dunleary in, in Cavantini when I was up there, Carrigley College, when I was up there as well. And uh, what they call it, um, 
I, I, I was up there for a year and a half in Jairam and said I was still in touch with all the boys who were there with us in, in, in 1963. And then yeah. when that didn't work out, she came home and then went I into the business. Home. No, no, I, 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 I went back into the shop then. Yeah. And, uh, and I went back to the mine for, that was Christmas, I came back into the mine in 66 and I packed up the 13th of March. I went to Merton's Key and uh, I went to stay with my father there in 1970. I had two shops at the time, one in Blackpool and one in Merton's Key. And I took over uh, Blackpool in 1970 then. And how long did you, what, what age did your dad retire at? He died, he dropped dead at 61 years of age. Ah, oh, bless his heart. Yeah, unfortunately, he, he worked too hard. Yeah. And he had one week's holidays in 42 years. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, and I went down to Killarney because he served his time in Killarney with a man called Bill Sullivan, Bill Howard Sullivan, who was so long he retired during COVID. Uh, uh, Sean Bond, he's known as. I was calling him every every 12 months when I go down to him to say no to him. And uh, he retired during COVID. He's about 83 now, he's 82, 83. So I just uh, I a connection with him. And actually, one of my one of my workers opened a barbershop in 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 Killarney from Sligo. He's a Stephen Byrne. He's doing very well. He's doing well. All right. So, would would is your hope that another barber or a hairdresser will buy yes. the shop? Yes. Yeah. I, I got two phone calls on Saturday. Great. And one of those was a hairdresser who is a shop and is interested in the. My, my place and please God she will keep the staff the staff going as well that'd be great is, the, is there living accommodation above there us there is yeah. there was 10 of us lived up overhead 10 my, yeah my grandmother my mother my father and the 7 of us now there was 6 of us born in Baring College and uh, Jacqueline my younger sister was the only one born above the shop in 1963 so oh. but it was great history there my shop was actually a pain shop before we took it over by Keating's and prior to that, it was a pawn shop. Oh, God. Back in the day. Back in the day. And you and you were remaining open, it's important to point out, oh, on, right, until yes, Sale Agreed. Until Sale Agreed. Is there, uh, while I can really see the sense of, of loss and, and disappointment having to, having to sell, is there part of you is looking forward to the retirement aspect, Mick, to taking no. it easy? No. No, no, no. I have nothing to do. But I play golf in Bender. Twice a week, Tuesday and Thursdays, and uh, what's it called? And I enjoy it, and I love going to court actually for the summer. But no, because I love meeting my customers, and even though I might cut their hair, I love it. They all chatting the ball, happening. I know. The practice. There's, there's always something going on anyway, you know. That's what and you I, miss I, the I, most. I, even though I live in Ballincollig, I was at a bar in Ballincollig, I live in Ballincollig, but I did all my community work in Blackpool. Everything did. I was chairman of the credit union for a couple of years. And, I was in the community since years ago, like my father. My father was a founding member of the Blackpool Community Centre. He also served on the credit union, on the credit union board. And uh, I, I, as my daughter said, Dad, you were born in Banning College, you live in Banning College, you'll be buried in Banning College. But all you did was for Blackpool. Mm. <laughs> wow. so I and and I've a, I've a feeling it's it'll be a busy uh, retirement. I can't see you it sit, is, yeah, sitting around. I, I, I'm, I'm going to try and... Um, to my memoirs. Oh, my that'd be great. 
write a book. I write something anyway. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and we will look forward to chatting to you about that, okay, make for Patricia, sure. Listen, thank pleasure. You for everything. Well, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. pleasure. Mind Take yourself. Care. Take care. Bye bye. That is the wonderful Mick Moriarty, aka the Baldy uh, Barber. We've spoken with him many times over the years, but saddened to hear uh, just with the sign of the times, I suppose, and the current uh, economic um, situation that we find ourselves uh, in. His shop has gone up for sale. Let me go to some of your uh, calls and texts coming in. Someone says by text, you might find this text strange. We never find any texts strange, but it's a request from my dad. My dad is looking to buy Andrews and I'm assuming we're talking about Andrews liver salts, the good old fashioned Andrews liver salts. And I can't find it anywhere, any idea please, on where my dad can get Andrew's liver salt. Now, while the news was on, I did a quick Google search and it is coming up for chemists. But every time I click in to see, all they're saying is out of stock, out of stock, out of stock. Now, it could be one of those, you'd have to check in with a local chemist. You know the way when certain items, they go into short supply and there might be a number of months where they're not available. It could be something like that. I've checked in some of the larger supermarkets. Tesco, for example, have it advertised has been on sale but then when you go into their online website it says they're out of stock at the moment so let's put it out there I don't know where the text is coming from or part of the city or county but has anybody spotted Andrew's liver salts this listener's dad would like to get them God I haven't I, I, in my mind's eye I can still see the glass of Andrew's liver salt and the effervescent and the bubbles would be uh, going up your nose and uh, oh I never liked the taste of it absolutely never liked the taste of it but it was used to settle your stomach if I remember rightly as, as a child and uh, I was a martyr for constipation so I think it might have been used for that or was it the milk of magnesia which was the worst thing of all that I was given a big spoonful of. Anyway, I digress. Andrew's liver salts. If anybody has spotted them on sale can you let us know please 0818 103 103. Uh, something else has been cancelled but it's for later on in the week. It's the Clonakilty Community Care their Thursday night club that's off this Thursday. I don't know if that's to do with their worried about the weather or not, but they've decided to cancel it in advance. So the community, Clonacate, the Community Care Thursday Night Club will not be open this Thursday. It'll be back in full swing, though, the next uh, Thursday. Someone was listening to Mick Moriarty, the Baldy Barber, who we spoke with in the last hour. And this was says, Patricia, I absolutely agree with everything Mick the Barber had to say about men with their home hair cuts and thinking that getting the wife or the daughter or somebody else in the household to cut your hair is absolutely fine. But I agree with Mick, they're not making the best of themselves by opting for the home haircut. As for what you said about the hairdresser, you're totally right. My mum often said during the pandemic, if we had had a woman Taoiseach at the time of the pandemic, then hairdressers would have been deemed an emergency essential service and every one of them would have been kept open. Our hairdresser makes us look well for a fee, but throw in the therapy session, that's for free. I've told my hairdresser that I can never leave her and go to another hairdresser. Why? Because she knows too much. And I'd say I'm not the only one in that situation. Yeah, we're all of us who are blessed to have a wonderful, I have a wonderful hairdresser. And, and yeah, we, you can tell her anything and nothing. And, and I know her outside of hairdressing, or I know her well, and nothing 
will ever uh, you'll never hear talk about uh, anyone they are like they are like therapists and they keep everything to themselves and we share a lot I think when you're getting your hair uh, done so you're right yeah they, they should have been deemed an essential service during the pandemic we all really really missed them and then the letter writing remember that gorgeous WhatsApp that I did from somebody who reckoned that they had stepped into a time machine yesterday when they were up in the attic and they found a box of old letters and they sat down and just went through all of the old letters from over the years. Somebody says, Patricia, I'm listening to that lady with her uh, letters. That is one of the reasons, says this listener, why I don't recycle Christmas or birthday cards. I love to read them, particularly from people that have passed. It's a lovely reminder every year when I add them to a box. I have a great big box. This is a great big box full of all of her Christmas cards and her birthday cards. And actually, I came across only lately, only the last few days doing a bit of a clear up myself. I actually came across my birthday card. No, I haven't kept all birthday cards over the years, but the birthday card that my mother gave me for my 21st birthday, which was just a few years ago now, and my mother has since passed. And it was lovely to see her handwriting inside in the in the card. So, yeah, it's a nice thing to do uh, for sure. Hi, good morning, uh, Patricia. I heard you earlier about that person who found the letters uh, in the attic. I have a lovely box which I have kept and I've, I've, I started this box back from when I went away working at 17, keeping letters in it. I used to write to uh, my mum and she and they didn't have much at home. So I'd be sending a few bob every couple of weeks out of my wages in 19. That was back in 1972. And then she would write back with all the news from home. I even have a letter from my first ever boyfriend who was in the army. I kept all of his letters. I read them. I take them out every couple of years and read them. And it is like a trip down a memory lane. And I've kept them, even though I've started my own family um, and didn't marry the first boyfriend, but kept all of the love letters. And they're lovely memories to have they are and that's what the initial listener who contacted us was bemoaning the fact that we don't write letters anymore and therefore future generations won't have that experience of opening up this wonderful box that's just like a time machine filled with beautiful memories 0818103103 I spoke about neglected dogs and one listener in particular is worried about dogs in her area in the North Cork area they're dogs that are kept by a farmer uh, somebody else says Trish it's not only dogs that are in bad living conditions. We have a neighbour of ours who has left horses in a muddy field without any grass or any field uh, shame or any feed shame on him. Now, I know before we've had reports in about horses and people saying they're not being fed and when we got onto the owner it turns out they were being fed and they're fed every day it's just you're not actually seeing it so I would maybe check in with the farmer just to make sure because you know a lot of farmers do the majority of them do look after their animals so check it might be a case that those animals are being fed you're just not seeing the time of the day that they are being fed and on couriers when we had the listener who had the DHL package and we're waiting to get back DHL to get back to us as to what that woman in Carrigaline can do with a package that got delivered to her door and it's not for her, it's for somebody else in some other part of uh, Cork uh, City. Somebody said, I was told by the sender, which was a business, to expect a parcel on the 18th of December. The parcel, by the way, in its contents was worth a thousand euro. A few days had passed and I wasn't parcel hadn't arrived. Suddenly a neighbour arrived at my door 
with the said same parcel. But it wasn't that it was left on his doorstep. It had been left on the side of the road by his gateway. He's got an avenue up to his house so he doesn't have clear view of the gateway because of shrubs and trees. And he wasn't out for a few days and it was only when he went out he discovered this parcel at the door which turned out to be this other listener's parcel. But it was there for a few days. That's, I hope you got back onto the courier and pointed that out. I mean, people pay a lot of money and I know couriers, I know coming up to, I'm not, you know, I'm slow to criticise couriers because because in that lead up to Christmas, they were ran off their feet as, along with our great postmen and post uh, women. But it isn't good enough if you're paying for, and sometimes couriers can be quite expensive when you're paying to have a delivery done and then it gets left somewhere completely wrong. Particularly like when the listener from Carrigaline is saying that the postcode, it isn't that somebody that somebody mistakenly put the wrong postcode on because I know there was a parcel delivered to a member of staff here before Christmas that had gone to another part of the business park that we're in. But when we checked the the person in the building, his name was on the parcel, but the incorrect postcode, they'd obviously checked a postcode online, but they got the postcode of another bill, another business in the business park here and then they worked out that it belonged to us and, and got it up to us. But So I can understand the courier delivering that incorrectly because it was the wrong postcode. But when the postcode is correct, there shouldn't be any reason for parcels going to the wrong uh, addresses. 0818103103 and just final one on teachers that we spoke about uh, earlier. Bill has uh, two nephews and a niece who've tried everything to get a job teaching in this uh, country. He said he listened with annoyance to somebody who contacted the programme this morning who was moaning and groaning about our young people. They leave school, they go into college, some, not all of them, some get grants and then as soon as they qualify, they leave the country after, you know, we, the Irish taxpayer, have to pay for their education. Uh, Bill wants to point out that many teachers don't want to leave uh, Ireland, but they simply can't get a full-time job. Bill says the Minister won't relieve, release funds to employ more teachers and that's all over the country. Also, those that are subbing will never get a mortgage as they need to be full-time. Um, and it was one of the issues that was pointed out actually by the ASTI that he even the the job offers that are on, you know, because we're, we're hearing that there's 99 vacancies on the educationpost.ie. That's the recruitment uh, website. But a lot of those posts are part time. Are they a fixed term position, which means they're only for a year? So nobody's going to come back from a full time job in another country where they'll only get a job where they're only guaranteed the work for a year. And of course, by being only guaranteed, it's a little bit like subbing. You will never get a mortgage if you don't have a long term contract. So, yes, I absolutely understand where you're coming from, Bill. 0818 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. Now, when we mentioned that bingo in Connor and bingo in Banty, here, both being cancelled due to the bad weather conditions. We are being told that bingo is going ahead in Chambalimore Community Centre. It's got an 8 o'clock start with a jackpot of €3,250. Uh, Euro. And the eagerly awaited Ross Moore Variety Show is back this month. It's a huge fundraiser for palliative care, Cancer Connect, Kilmean Community Development Association and Kilmean GAA. The show will run from this Thursday, January the 11th to Saturday, January the 13th. 
and then it's also on the following week on the Thursday and Friday. Tickets are available from gr8events.ie and you just scroll to Rossmore Variety Club. Inquiries can also be made about tickets to 086 07 The Carrigaline Alzheimer Cafe will be held on Thursday from 3 to 5 in the afternoon in the Carrigaline Family Support Centre. Guest speaker will be Angela Cronin from Alone who will discuss supports for people living alone. Living alone. If you'd like to register, call Karen 087 3487511. And Clondrohid Defibrillator Committee are holding a fundraising charades night. Well, that sounds like fun. It's on next Saturday, 8 o'clock in the Tavern in Clondrohid. Teams of four, 40 euro to enter. All are welcome. A fun night is guaranteed with music and food also provided. To pre book a table, call 087 2385112. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Well, the listener who was inquiring for her dad, who's desperately in need of Andrew's liver salts, will be delighted to hear. We have a flood of comments in from people saying Andrew's liver salts, very much alive and well and available. Caroline in Skibbereen said she got them in her. In her local super value and someone else was on to say about three weeks ago I bought them in super value in Formoy so super value branches definitely seem to have it and then somebody else has said are they not on the counter at Aldi and I have a funny feeling that they are you know when you go to the checkout in Aldi they have a number of different you know like tablets Panadol and Dispirin and cough sweets and things like that um, I have a funny feeling they are on the checkouts so you can check with Aldi as well but definitely people are saying uh, Super Value uh, have them Andrew's Liver Connor somebody's on say the local shop in Connor sells Andrew's Liver Salts Linda's in Bandon you can get them with online pharmacies yeah I looked into online pharmacies but a lot of them say that they're out of stock and Tina and Balancolic got them in the chemist warehouse in Balancolic so chem- some chemists seem to have them in stock as well but I think that's the good news and I just don't know where our initial texter is texting from. That's what I'm always saying to people when you send in texts like that. If you can just say the general area, because I don't want you to be sending you all over the county when they might be very close and on your doorstep. Like, for example, somebody else is looking for suggestions. And I think from a previous WhatsApp this uh, listener is in the, I'm thinking the North Cork area, but I'm open to corrections on that. Says, Happy New Year, many happy returns. Random question, please. I'm looking to take up more cooking at home, my New Year's resolution for this year. Have you or any of your listeners heard of a really good cooking course or a book for complete beginners. Now, please, I'm emphasising complete beginners. I mean, the best I can do at the moment would be frying an egg and peeling potatoes. <laughs> So a complete beginner, I always think, give it a go, give it a go. Okay, uh, a book, maybe will we start you with the book? Does anybody, any cookery courses for complete beginners? Because a lot of the cookery books are like cordon bleu when people are really good at cooking and they go on to do more advanced courses. Or maybe there are beginner ones. If anybody knows of of a beginner's cookery course that we could point our listener in this direction of, or a good cookbook, a good old fashioned cookbook, one for the complete beginner where they'll break it down nice and easy and make 
you know, and make nice dishes that would be easy to make at home. 0818103103. Your suggestions in, please. And let's see if we can help out this listener who will become a fantastic cook by the end of this year. Now, we were talking about road and road conditions. Listen to this for an act of kindness. Margaret in Dunmanway was on to say yesterday... Uh, she was walking into a manway. She had to go out and about. She had some jobs that she needed to do. And she said the footpaths, it was like walking on a nice rink. She said at one stage she was walking and a woman who had just parked up said to Margaret, mind yourself there, that particular footpath that you're walking on is lethal and it's lethal further, further down. So she was giving her a word of warning. She then said to her, where are you going? And Margaret explained where she needed to go. She said, oh, pop into the car. I'll, I'll drive you instead of letting you walk on those footpaths. Now, Margaret said she'd never laid eyes on this woman before. She asked her her name and she turned out she was a Marion McSweeney from Rossmore. But she thought it was just particularly kind of Marion to help out Margaret, a complete stranger. So well done to Marion McSweeney. So then our Margaret from Dunmanway went in to do her bits and pieces in the shops that she had to do them in. And then she was heading back home. And she said the same thing happened. This time, another woman who she didn't know, this time it was a Greta O'Connell, uh, gave her a lift and brought her home. And she said, I just want to thank both of those ladies. So well done. Nice, kind people. Greta O'Connell, uh, who I'm assuming is, is from Dunmanway, uh, is she? Uh, well done to you and Mary McSweeney from Ross Moore. Um, can I say well done to Margaret in Dunmanway, who took the time to get the listeners' names? Because I Often we're calling out acts of kindness like that that are done and we don't know any names where we might be talking about, oh, she was a blonde haired lady driving a blue car, you know, so well done. She got the actual details and good to know that you got home safe and people are very, I'm always saying it, there's great, great kindness out there. And just one final one by uh, email into, a, into us. The listener is appealing to motorists to please slow their speed down, particularly when travelling in the St. Joseph's Road area of Mallow. He's been observing the speed over the last number of months and he said near Aldworth Heights uh, area, people are really speeding and he is fearful that there will be a serious accident if the speed limit on that particular road isn't lowered. He's pointed out also that there are school buses stopping for school children because, of course, there's a national school at the entrance to Castle Park, which is on St. Joseph's Road in Mallow. There's also... St. Joseph's Graveyard, there's an old graveyard also on that road and also that is the road where Mallow Rugby Club is and of course at the end of that road you've got the uh, the GAA complex as well and that all increases traffic on that particular road but this listener said motorists seem to be unaware of this and he said despite alerting Cork County Council and the Gardaí the speed of traffic hasn't been altered in any uh, way. Yeah and there's a lot of activity on that road that wouldn't have been there a number of years ago. The only thing I can tell you is, and we mentioned it last week on the programme, all of the local authorities around the country are, as we speak, assessing all of the speed limits in their area. And that's all going then back to the Department of Transport, I'm assuming, or maybe it's the Department of the Environment. And they are going to be lowering speed limits all over the country, but it's been done on a nationwide basis. But it's up up to each individual local authority to assess the roads. So that is one of the roads that certainly the speed limits are going to be uh, reduced on because we're talking about all of our, it's a secondary road. All of our secondary roads are all going to see 
a reduction. So you're going to have to wait. Uh, but certainly something is going to move on it this year. To everybody else, if you're driving in St. Joseph's Road area of Mallow, will you please, please, please slow it down. 0818 Caroline in Skibbereen says, All in the Cooking. That is a brilliant book. Is that the one from this from the school days one all in the cooking the one that they got republished it was used for leaving search for domestic science or home economics as it was called I'm sure all in the cooking is that anyway Caroline in Skibbereen says that is a brilliant uh, book Happy New Year Patricia uh, says this listener I've always used Jarena Allen's cookbook very easy uh, to follow but they've got excellent food like the listener who contacted you I was a complete beginner but since using Jarena's cookbooks I, ha- I have I'm self-trained and then I class myself as a very good cook well done so any of the Jarena Allen uh, cookbooks and there's many Many, many Darina Allen books out there. So thank you for some of those suggestions coming in by text to 0862 103 103. Cork today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Joe Heffernan uh, joining us this afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Joe. Good afternoon, Patricia. Uh, on a, a topic that I think is very relevant because January can be a dreary old month yeah. and I was only moaning yesterday with all the decorations gone down that the house yeah. looks so dark <laughs> and dreary and, and whatever and, and I'm trying to make plans so I can, things to look forward to, etc. So you want to talk about the benefits of laughter. Yeah, yeah, um, uh, at least... At least in theory. I haven't had an awful lot to laugh about in my life recently. As you know, I've been through a bit. But, um, yeah, um, laughter. Um, I, I, I remember reading a thing once about a person used to pass a, uh, um, uh, a specific family home. And that, um, fairly regularly on passing, he would hear a lot of laughter. And it was, you know, he, I remember reading, and therefore that was a happy home. Mm-hmm. And um, I suppose if we're laughing, we're in a fairly good place. And I suppose that's the that's the attraction, isn't it, of um, comedy shows and yeah. all of that, whether on the telly or on the stage. And we all have friends uh, or family members who just happen to be, for example, very witty, you know, good turn of phrase, you know, always great with the jokes or whatever. And you just love being around that person and you come away from that person feeling a a little bit lighter. Yeah, Yeah. 100%, uh, 100%. Um, there was a great, great old friend of mine died recently, unfortunately, on holiday in Spain, uh, Conor from Cork. And um, uh, in fact, I was reading there the other day, now on the Echo, I think it was, that they're thinking of calling a street after Con on the north this side. This is Con, Con the Robber, as he was known. Con the, the, the Robber, the, uh, who had the counselor. Yeah, I yeah, even, uh, yeah. listen, what a lovely man. I interviewed him many, many times over there the years. There you are. Yeah, great guy. Yeah. Well, Con was a great old friend of mine, but as sure as you were there, like, I mean, any interaction with Con at some stage, whether beginning, middle or end, would finish up with uh, a laugh because he he had a fierce uh, wit about him and uh, a great old sense of humour. I was very sad to hear about it. His daughters contacted me last Friday that... um, 
that Khan had uh, had died in um, in uh, uh, basically in Gran Canaria, um, uh, and he was in hospital in Las Palmas. Um, he took ill at the airport and he died. But um, on our subject today, Khan. You'd never, ever meet Con, but at some stage um, in the conversation, there would be a real, genuine laughter, even though he was going through his own um, uh, health issues in recent years. Now, what, what, uh, what mightn't be regularly um, known would be that, I mean, Laughter actually triggers healthy physical changes in the body. Yeah, there's that, a science. There's a science behind this. There is. Yeah, there absolutely is. That it strengthens our immune system. It boosts our energy. It diminishes pain. It decreases stress, and it raises mood and improves our emotional state. Now, um, you know. I, I, I suppose we don't often think about the word laughter, but it has an awful lot of, um, there's an awful lot of science behind um, the, uh, the, the, behind uh, laughter. Um, it brings your body and mind, mind and body, back into balance, you know? Mm. And of course, it helps us to cope with problems and improves our relationships. Um you know, very often where there's a bit of a row going on, um, it might be minor, it might be major, um, um, w- with somebody or other. And if a bit of humour can be injected somewhere into it, it usually lightens the whole thing. Yeah, and, you can't, um, it's, it's very hard to argue with somebody who's just cracked a joke or said something that has made yeah. you laugh. No matter how cross you are, it's just very hard to, to stay cross when, when you're laughing. And I, I saw when, when, when I knew we were going to be discussing this, I was looking up just some quotes about laughter. And I loved the one from uh, Audrey Hepburn, the famous the actress of a bygone era, she said laughter, or she said, laughter is and always will be the best form of therapy. And I just thought, how right was Audrey Hepburn? It is a form of therapy because, as you say, you just, you automatically start to feel better. Absolutely. Absolutely. And one of the quotes that I would have seen too about laughter would be that um, you can't feel anxiety or anger or sad when you're laughing, mm. it just seems to shunt all the um, negative emotions out the side door and, and the laughter takes over. Um, so, yes, it has great, great benefits. Um, and it actually triggers the release of endorphins um, in the b- body, which um, uh, promotes a sense of wellness. Apparently, laughter is good for your heart and it increases blood flow and uh, it adds joy to life anyway, that's for sure. Yeah, and it was Charles Dickens who who wrote, um, I, I, I don't know whether it was in a book or he was, uh, in one of his short stories, he was saying that there's nothing in the world so irresistibly contagious as laughter and good humour. And particularly the contagious part, you know if you see a video and you, there's often clips doing the rounds on social media and it's somebody laughing, uncontrollable laughter. And you can't, you don't even know what the joke is. But watching somebody else with that real belly laugh, you end up laughing with the person. 
Well, it's certainly at the very minimum, it brings a big smile. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, um, a lot of people, you know, you'd hear a lot now about, um, about uh, you know, mindfulness, uh, meditation, etc. Well, ap- apparently laughing um, can um, have just as much beneficial e- effects. In fact, um, I can't remember when, where, or how now, but I read somewhere about, um, you know, uh, we'll call it sort of a, a laughter group um, where 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 people basically, I suppose, uh, told some funny stories or induced laughter anyway um, uh, for the mental health benefits that, that were in it, you know? Because I'm sure you would agree that laughter adds joy to life. Mm. And therefore, automatically, it eases anxiety and fear. It relieves stress. It improves our mood, that's for sure. Uh, I mean, it is completely incompatible. Uh, Laughter and bad mood at the same time can't coexist. So, I mean, in a nutshell um, and in a broader way, it helps us to cope with life, um, uh, to have more resilience. Uh, You'd often hear about... um, a thing called uh, black humor that even you know when things are a bit dire and when things are very much not good in one's life that if you can find a little niche somewhere um of humor in it that that uh, that it helps you know yeah maybe watch a comedy show find something yeah. online read a funny book yeah, yeah. There's lo- there's lots of ways that, that you can do it, but try and be around people as well that make you laugh. As uh, as I mentioned at the outset, absolutely. I oh. mean, the last thing that one wants to be listening to too often. I know we've to face reality in life, and life at the moment in the world is far from being anywhere right or easy. Um, but um, we 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 don't want to immerse ourselves in gloom and doom. All the time. And we certainly don't want to be uh, talking doom and gloom with um, somebody all the time. It's a relief to find someone with a bit of a sense of humor. And as you said, it's, it's a very attractive thing in a person if they can make one have a bit of a laugh. Keep the sunny side out. Listen, Joe, always a pleasure to talk to you. We'll chat again next week. Look after yourself and keep laughing. Yeah, I'll try anyway. Thanks Very a million. Bye bye. <laughs> that is Joe Heffernan who runs a counselling practice in Bohabui. His number is 086-834-8145. And just to some of your texts coming in on the cookbooks for our listener who is a complete beginner. And lots of people are suggesting all in the cooking, which I then said, is that not the book? was the school book. I'm think, I think it was for Leaving Cert for Home Economics in uh, Leaving Cert and everyone's saying yes that is the one including somebody who says uh, Patricia I have my original cookbook from secondary school when I went to Loretta Convent in Clonmel and my sister Anne had used it before me so both their names are written inside in the book and Caroline says he, Caroline was the first to suggest uh, all in the cooking. Yes it is the school cookery book and Caroline said I actually won the hard 
sent back copy from you on the program. I remember that we gave away, we did a we did an interview on them, and the publishers kindly gave us some books uh, to uh, give away. Um, Anya says hi, Patricia. Re cookbooks. I got two simple cookbooks from Mabs. Is that the money advice and budgetary services? I would say to that listener, try any of the thrift shops. They're heaving with uh, cookbooks. Hi, Patricia. The person looking for a beginner's cookbook would probably benefit from the economic science books used for junior certificate students in schools. Okay. Also try your local library. There are great magazines available at news agents everywhere. So it is easy to uh, pick up good uh, cookbooks. Happy cooking, says this uh, listener and Margaret, uh, uh, oh no that's on a different one and a number of other people saying all all in the cooking is is the book that lots of people are recommending. So thank you for that. This is uh, Margaret who says, is there anyone taking used stamps? Uh, am I dreaming thinking some charities used to take them? There was a lot of charities used to take used stamps. We did get a letter in last week from one of our listeners, Mary Nolan. Mary is in the in Rock Chapel. Uh, she takes used stamps. You can drop them into the post office in Newmarket or the central stores in Canturk. She collects the used uh, stamps. They are weighed. She, what money she gets from them, she sends out to Myanmar. They go to the Servite Sisters. They're looking after 120 girls, providing them with food, shelter and education. A lot of the charities gave up on the used postage stamps because there isn't a lot of money made from them from a fundraising point of view. A lot of energy goes into then gathering up the stamps and, you know, it's labour intensive as well. So I think a lot of the charities uh, realised they weren't making uh, as much money out of it, but some still are. But definitely uh, Mary Nolan in Rock Chapel yeah, is collecting them. Good luck to Mary with that. And that's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we're back with you tomorrow at 10. Until then, I'm Patricia Messenger. Very good afternoon. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie.